day. Hope you're doing all right and hope you're having a good week and everything's going well for you and you kind of came out of the cold weather and got a little bit warmer when you got in here. I'm glad to have you and and I tell you I like this time of year. I like uh, uh, back home uh, where I'm from. They told me they got snow. How many of y'all would like some snow? Okay let's just let's figure this out. How many of you would like snow like at night but then it's gone by like the morning? That's your kind of snow. All right, it's really pretty, but it needs to get on its way. Okay, I understand. How many of you, if it never snowed again, you'd be all right? Okay, I just want to see who's never moving further north than Milledgeville. Okay, good, 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 good. All right. Well, it's good again. Good to see you here today. Thank you for coming. And uh, if you would, let's go ahead and take our Bibles and open them in the New Testament, the book of Philippians, if you would. Philippians chapter number 4. Philippians chapter number 4. And uh, I know in a little bit we'll have some announcements, but something I wanted to mention to you is uh, tonight we're not having our evening service because we're doing a a live nativity project that we're doing to help out a church uh, up in Eatonton, Brother Chad Crawford's church. Brother Chad has helped us out in soccer and other things. He actually preached uh, part of our revival for us. His church is up there uh, in uh, Eatonton. And they're doing a drive-through nativity. And so if you'd like to go help and work in it, some of us did Friday night. And, uh, but we're going to do it again. We're going to be leaving here at the church at 5.15. Uh, we're going to try to be there by 6.15. It's Harvest Baptist Church. Now you say, Brother Phil, I don't really necessarily want to go work in it, but I wouldn't mind just driving up there and driving through it. Uh, it's located at 642 Old Phoenix Road. If you know where the, well, I call it the pyramid up there at the end of the road on Old Phoenix, it's right before you get there, Harvest Baptist Church. They do it from 7 o'clock to 8.30. So if nothing else, if you don't go and you don't help, you know who to pray for between 7 and 8.30 tonight when it's a little bit chilly out there. But we're looking forward to being a blessing. Uh, we did it Friday night, and Brother Chad said that they had about 143 people that drove through, and they give the gospel to them and share some things about Christ and the church with them. And I tell you, it's a great thing anytime you share Christ with people, especially this time of the year. You know, this is the time of the year that Jesus' name gets mentioned a whole lot. And, you know, a lot of times I don't know if people really understand what that means and everything about it, but it's a good time for us to share Christ with people. But this morning we're going to be in Philippians chapter uh, number 4, and um, I love Philippians chapter 4. I've, I've preached a lot of different parts of Philippians 4, but there's a particular part of this passage that uh, I want us to look at today, and I think this time of year is a great time of year to think about it. Now, um, you don't have to do this, but if you've got an insert there, you can see it as far as the points we're going to have today. But if I asked you in the next few moments, and you're welcome to do this if you like, to write down on that piece of paper your must-haves in this life. Like you said, i got to have this. this. I must have this. This is something that I can't do life without. And you had to write down those things that you would say, those are, I just can't live without, and you had to list them. I wonder what your list would be like. Now, I know some of y'all like chocolate. It would be chocolate. I can't live life without chocolate. Now, outside of the realm of candy, if you had to write down the things in your life, these must-haves. And I want us to look at something today in Philippians that I think sometimes that we need to be reminded of, and hopefully not just reminded of, but something we need to understand correctly And this idea of when we get in the part of life where we say, I've got to have this or I couldn't live my life without this. In Philippians chapter number 4, I'm going to read a few verses here with us, okay? Beginning in verse number 10 and going down through verse number 20. So Philippians chapter number 4 and verse number 10 down through verse number 20. The Bible says this. Paul says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly 
that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere. In all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, you have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians, know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Verse 16 says, For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. A verse that we probably know or like to quote says, But my God shall supply all your need, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just pray as we come to you this morning. Lord, I just thank you for this place that we can come to. We just set aside some time in our week that we can come and we can worship you. Lord, thank you for singing and us being able to enjoy the songs. Angels we have heard on high, just singing glory to God. But Lord, I pray that we won't sing glory to God only at Christmas time. But Lord, we might be thankful, we might glorify you, we might truly worship you every single day of our life. And Lord, I pray as we look at your word here in a few moments, you might add your blessing. Lord, I pray you take me as your vessel. And Lord, I know I pray it before, but Lord, this morning I really feel like I need desperately your help. Lord, you give me clarity. Lord, you give me what you'd have for me to say. There's a lot of things on my mind, but Lord, may I not say what you have me not to say, but I will say what you have for me to say. Lord, I thank you for all these people here. Lord, thank you for the children. Thank you for the adults, the teenagers. And Lord, I just pray as we worship you today and we learn about you, speak through your word. Thank you most importantly for Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned, if you had to sit there on that sheet of paper and you had 60 seconds to write down, I can't live without, and you had to put down whatever it was on that list, I wonder what that list would be. What would it be? Would it be a car? Would it be a house? Would it be, would it be food? Would it be shelter? Would it be a relationship? I wonder what those things would be. And we need to be careful when we say, this is something I couldn't live without and whatever it is we say. Because if we're not careful, those things that we say we can't live life without are those things we come to expect. By the way, we always joke about in relationships in church and in, in, in relationships with, with friends and with uh, spouses and with children. Be careful of your expectations because what you start to expect, you start to inspect. And when your needs are not met, guess what happens? You become discontent. And we're looking at a passage of scripture here. Paul is in prison. The whole book of Philippians is a book about joy, and I find that funny. The book of joy is written by a man that's sitting in prison for doing what I'm doing today. He's preaching the gospel. I'm so thankful, by the way, I live in a country where it's still, at the moment at least, free that we can get together like this. We can preach, we can sing, we can praise God. It's not illegal to do that. Paul's writing this letter, this four-chapter letter, if you will, for doing simply the crime of sharing Christ with people, trying to help them. And he's trying to encourage this church. Now, by the way, couldn't you imagine that today that somebody in prison 
for, for preaching the gospel is sending us an email. And I say, hey, I got an email this morning for this preacher that's in prison for preaching the gospel. And they just want me to tell you guys that God is good and we need to rejoice in the Lord. You think, man, that's kind of crazy. The guy's in prison. He's the one that needs some cheering up. But see, Paul had reached a certain state of mind that I think we need to be reminded of today when we look at these verses that we looked at this morning. That when we think about our life, ask yourself this question. Are you content? Do you have contentment in your life? Do you live a life of a life of contentment? Or do you live a life of complacency? Or do you live a life that you feel like you're always chasing the next thing? You always feel like the next thing you got to get, the next thing you got to do. I kind of find it funny with cell phones. It's like if you get a cell phone after about a, about a week, that cell phone's no longer in style. It's outdated, and they got the new cell phone. And, you know, people will camp out trying to get the new phone and trying to do all these different things. Why? Because they're always chasing something. I tell you about, I probably shouldn't tell you, it's probably about 10 or 12 years ago. I used to have a phone that when you pulled it out, you know what you had to do to it for your daily? You had to flip it up. And if I text somebody, I had to hit the button so many times to get the right letter. And let me tell you, texting took a little while to do that. But I remember being big stuff whenever I could text. I remember having big stuff. I have that flip phone. I flip that thing out there and say, you just got this big thing. It looks like it belongs in a bag. You know, this big thing. Some of you are like, I had a bag phone. But anyhow, you know, I just think, man, <laughs> look at this little thing. I can pop it out right here and I can just do that. It's kind of funny. Now we're going back to the ginormous phones again for all that stuff. But you know what's funny is that if I said, hey, I'm going to give away today cell phones to everybody in the congregation, and people would probably be like, yes, it's great. Is it going to be the iPhone X? Is it going to be the new Samsung this? I said, here you go. I got you a 2002 Nokia flip phone. There you go. You know what a lot of us would probably do with that? <laughs> Thanks. Let's give it to the kids so they can play with it, right? And I know we're just kind of in joking in that. But I believe what Paul's trying to tell this church here is be careful what you really care and love. Be careful what you put a lot of emphasis on. I can't live life without. I don't know if you remember about about a month ago we had this list that we kind of went through and we talked a little bit about of what you look for in a church and what a church ought to have. And remember me telling you that one of the things on the list, number six on the list of what the expectations were for a church was coffee. You know, somebody said, I want to go to church where there's coffee, I can wake up. Now you say, Brother Phil, you don't want to see me before coffee. I understand that. I did see a really cool picture on uh, Facebook the other day. It had a little picture of a coffee cup, and it had a line that was like up here when it's full. It says, don't talk. A little bit down low, it says, shh. And then right at the bottom, it says, you can start whispering to me now, meaning they have started drinking coffee. I understand that. But as believers, we're about to enter. Well, we're not about to enter. We're in Christmas time. We're going to be going and we're going to be running a thousand miles an hour, making life even more busy than it's already been. But whenever December 25th passed, Christmas night, things are done, December 26th, however you do it, celebrate your home. When you look back at it, are you going to feel content? Are you going to feel like that you took this holiday season, this Christmas season, and truly felt like you worship Christ and you feel like, Yes, you have shortcomings. Yes, you have failures. But you feel like you really took the time and you were content and satisfied by the way you worship Christ. Or are you going to be worried about that present that you got to return? This that didn't work. Oh, I wasn't able to get my kid this and I really wanted to. What happens in life, we start to make the must-haves of life the things that we don't really need to have. 
and they're not the right thing. And some things I want us to see here in Scripture that I think will be a help to us and just a reminder of is that when I start calling things needs that aren't needs, I start judging the love of God based on how he supplies those things I call needs. The things that I like, man, I got to have this, and it doesn't really belong in the need category. It's really just a want. It's just a desire. And if God doesn't allow me to have it, I start questioning God's goodness. I start questioning God's wisdom, God's love. And I really start questioning. I become uh, disgruntled, if you will, with my relationship with God. Because a lot of people like to say verses in Scripture, which a lot of times those verses in Scripture are very misquoted. I, always, I know you've heard me say it before. I believe Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. I think that's a verse that's misquoted very much in Scripture if you really look at what the Bible's teaching. But can I tell you that Philippians 4, 13 is not real far behind. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. You know, a lot of times we see that verse and we're like, that means I can do anything. I could go out here and, and I can earn this amount of money or I can go out here and win this ball game or I can go out here and and do this feat, or I can go out here and do this thing. And you know what the problem is? We make it all about I. I can do this. I can do that. I remember, uh, now it's going to show a little bit of my age. Now some of y'all my age or older remember this. I remember years ago, there was a boxer by the name of Mike Tyson that was unbeatable. I mean, Mike Tyson knocked people out in the first round. If you made it the second round with Tyson, you really did something. Now I remember a man by the name of Evander Holyfield challenged Mike Tyson. Now, I remember that. Y'all remember, y'all remember that. That was a lot of, I was going to say it's a nail-biter, but y'all wouldn't, some of y'all know what I'm talking about there. It wasn't necessarily that. But I remember Evander Holyfield used to have, even on the belt and on the shoes, Philippians 4.13, and I remember hearing him, I can do all things through Christ. That means I can beat Mike Tyson. Boy, that sounded really good. And he defeated Mike Tyson. And he claimed that I can do all things through Christ. The only problem was there was a, a man that he went to box next called Lennox Lewis. And he still claimed I can do all things. And Lennox Lewis knocked Evander Holyfield's lights out. And Evander Holyfield's like, oh, but I can do all things through Christ. Problem is he wasn't interpreting the verse correctly. See, you can't take Philippians 4.13 by itself. And, and if you get nothing else, this is something I'm really big on because I really believe it's scriptural. Be really careful about taking a verse of scripture by itself. Understand the context of the passage. See, because you don't get Philippians 4.13 unless you can do Philippians 4.11 and 12. And that's some things I want us to see today, talking about this idea of being content. See, because a lot of people say God wants you to be rich regardless of your status, regardless of education. problem is that's not at all what Paul is talking about here. It's not I can do anything I want. I love watching sports. I love watching ball players, and a lot of them like to write those verses on there. And, and, and like I said, you know, speaking of Evander Holyfield, those different people, that, you know, I find it funny that there's going to be, in, in, in today being Sunday, the NFL is going to play, and in college football playoffs and all that stuff's coming up. And you know what? There's going to be a lot of people claiming on those sidelines going to battle, Philippians 1, Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things. And I think to myself, God doesn't give a rip about that at all. If I lose you on that, I'm sorry. He doesn't give a rip about that at all. Because that proves that God's a liar. If one can claim it, the other one claim it, and both people can't win. For my situation, I hope both teams lose a lot of times. But we need to understand something. What does it really mean, Philippians 
What does that really mean? It means that we can learn the secret of contentment. We can understand what it truly means to be content. And I want us to see this morning, how can we learn to be truly content? How can we learn to be truly content? And some things I want us to see here is this. Number one, how can Paul say, I can do all things through Christ? Number one, I want us to see the process. The process. Look what he says in the passage. I can do all things. Now, we like to say that means that I can win a ball game. That means I can, I can lift a lot of weight. Or that means I can do this or do that. And we say, oh, that's what it means. I can do all things. No. When he says I can do all things, it goes all the way back to what? Paul's saying, I can do all things in verse 13 because I understand the process of verse 11. Look at verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. That word state there can mean situation. And by the way, the word content means satisfaction or with ease of mind. Now, you may not have to go much further in the message, but let me ask you a question. Do you have contentment in your life today? You say, Brother Phil, I don't really have a lot of satisfaction in my life. I definitely don't have an ease of mind. If you don't have an ease of mind, you don't have contentment. And Paul says, you don't need to live your, you live your life as a Christian without the ease of mind and the satisfaction that God wants to give. He wants you to live a content life. Now, a lot of us confused, and I'll go ahead and tell you this before we go on. Contentment means satisfaction or ease of mind, like I said. Complacent means no desire for more or no desire to improve upon. I think the problem is in life, we're complacent about our walk with Christ. We have no desire to move on. We have no desire to improve upon. And we're definitely not content with the things God gives us. And we just got our whole life out of whack. Because our life is about things. Our life's about that. And Paul's saying here in this thing here, he said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, whatever situation I'm in, I'm going to be content. But I don't know if you noticed this. Look in the middle of the verse. He says, for I have learned. You know what that means? Contentment's not a spiritual gift. You ever look at somebody and say, man, they just, they seem to have peace of mind about everything. I mean, they don't seem to let anything bother them. I mean, it could be raining outside, and they're thanking God running around with an umbrella. And it could be scorching outside, and they're thanking God out there working, having a good time. I mean, it don't matter what happens. They just always seem to be content. Man, I wish I had that spiritual gift. There's not a person on the earth. The spiritual gift is not contentment. It's something that you learn. It is a process. And may I dare say, a lot of Christians are never, ever going to be content in life. Because they're not willing to go through the process. Paul says, I can do all things. You know what he's saying? I can go through every situation that life throws at me. You know why? Because I've learned how to be content. I've learned what really matters in life. I understand the process of it. And he says, I've learned in what service I am therewith to be content. It goes on to verse 12. It says this. He says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things. He says, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I think River might have the hungry one right there. I'm sorry, is that part of it? But you know, you think about it. Paul says, I know how to be abased. You know what the word abased abased means? I know how to be brought low. I know how to be taken down a notch or two. 
Maybe that's more good Georgia, Tennessee language. I'm Tennessee. I'll throw it in there. All right. He says, I know how to be, have the rug jerked out from underneath me. I know how it is to be thinking everything's good and get that phone call. I know how it is to be good and get that text. I know how it's good to be going through life and all of a sudden everything just changes just like that. I know how it is to have everything change and in a moment just wish you could have everything go back the way it was. He said, I know that. I dare say everybody in this room knows that. You know what it's like to be abased. You know what it's like to have everything just turned upside down in your life. He says, but I also know how to abound. I know how to face when life is not going bad, but when life's going not just good, when life's going great, and it seems like you can't do anything wrong. You ever met that person who's feel like everything they touch turns to gold? I mean, everything they do, it doesn't matter. They can take a, you walk in the situation, the world would fall apart. They walk in the situation, everything is booming and blessed and does wonderful, and you just then fight envy, you know, against that person. I understand that. And Paul's saying, I don't understand. I understand I'd be brought low. I understand that. He said, but I also know how to when everybody loves me. He said, I know how it is to go to a city and preach and, and to have just hundreds of people come around me and hundreds of people talk about how great it is and see people saved and see people's life changed. I understand that too. I understand what it means to be lifted up. He said, I understand that. But he goes on to say everywhere in verse 12, and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry. He says, I'm instructed to go into certain situations looking and hungering for more and wanting more. And I also know what it means to go into a situation where I may want more or want something and have to be full and say, no, I'm okay. He says, I understand that. I understand the process of it. And it is a learning process. He said, these things that I have learned, I had to learn this. Some people think, by the way, contentment's only something you learn when you don't have anything. Well, when I, got, when I don't have two pennies to rub together, then, I, then I, I can learn there what it means to be content. Can I tell you, a lot of times, it's when you have a lot is when you need to learn to be content. Because what happens when you start getting something and start getting a little bit and start getting a little bit more? What do you, what do you want? You always want more. You always want more. You know, it's kind of like if you get that food that, you know, your mama or grandma or somebody makes something for you, your wife makes for you, and they make that meal for you, and you eat till you're full, but you see it and you smell it, and you know you're past the point of return. You shouldn't eat anymore. I know none of y'all are going to do that on Christmas, okay? Everybody's in moderation, right? I got it. But you know what you do? You just want more. Whatever that meal is, whatever it is you get, you don't take two bites of it and say, well, I got to taste it. It's good. I'm good. Let's have everybody have a Merry Christmas and go. No, I don't know if y'all are like this. Do y'all, y'all know it's funny. The more the Christmas and Thanksgiving come, you ever notice the larger the plates get? I mean, they don't even sell dessert plates during Christmas time. I don't think. I mean, our dessert plates, it's like it's not the circle, it's the oval, you know, kind of like thing. So you can get everything like a clock, and then just dump it in the middle is what you get to do, right? I mean, why? Because you want to get as much as you can get. And then what happens when you get through eating that food that's set aside for that time? You want to go back up. You normally don't want to be the first one to go back up. Some of you have no shame at all. You don't care. You're going to run back up there and hurt little small children. You know, you're going to run back up there and eat. I understand that. But the idea is this. The idea Paul is saying, I understand how to go into something. And even though I may not want it, I, I, I can go into it hungering for it. 
and wanting to be a help. He said, but I also know how to walk into a situation where I may want something out of the situation. I may want something out of the relationship. I may want something out of the circumstance, and I have to say, no, I'm good. I understand. And he says, I've learned to be content. Let me ask you a question. We come to the end of 2018. I don't know if you're like me. It's weird to say 2018's gone. It's weird to say it. But how much have you learned in your Christian life about contentment? Are you still just hungry, 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 everything for you, get the most you can get out of it, chew it up, spit it out, go to the next thing in life? Because, you know, a lot of times I don't think we ever truly learn what it means to be content with the things that God allowed us to have. Every person in this room is in a certain situation or circumstance today. It may be the situation you love. It might be a situation you're here. It might be a situation you wouldn't dream on ever entering. But can I tell you something? For wherever you're at, anywhere there or in between, God desires you to be content in whatever that situation is. Some of you in this room would not take the circumstances that you're in right now for a thousand years if you knew what was going to happen a year ago or two years ago or even six months ago. But God in his love says, but are you willing to be content with it? Are you willing to be satisfied and have a peace of mind with it? Or... Do you keep wanting something else? Do you keep wanting something else to happen? I keep looking for that. You know, contentment has nothing to do with your circumstances. Everybody says, well, things happen good, I'll be content. Things go bad, not going to be content. Contentment has nothing to do with your circumstances, because here's why. If contentment's based on my circumstances, which it's not, that means this, if I get this job, then everything's okay. I'm going to be happy. If I get into this relationship, Everything's going to be okay. I'm going to be happy. That's when contentment's based on circumstances. If I can get this house or keep my house or keep what I have, keep this car, then everything will be okay. I'll be content, and that's the wrong way. Well, I'm just asking all that God will do is help my kids to get a good education and get into college, and that's great. But if your contentment, your joy is based on your kids getting in a great education, can I tell you, your contentment and your joy is in the wrong thing. It's in the wrong thing. Well, if I could just have this or that, it'd be right. Now, this is one that hits me, okay? We could just have 150 people start coming to church. I'd be happy then. Problem is, what happens when you get 150 people coming to church? You want 200. What happens when you get 200? You want more. You know why? I'm trying to get us to understand something is that we're putting the must-haves in our life. Don't even Those things don't even belong on the list. It's all about things. Let's just be honest. We're facing a season of time where this whole Christmas season is about things. Don't believe me? Go to Walmart. Go to the mall. Check out Amazon. Everything about. I think me and the mail person are on a first-name basis now. We've all got, hey, how you doing? Got you a package, Phil. Here you go, and bring it. I'm like, I didn't know I ordered this. All right, good. You know? I look at it. I was like, this is great. And I'm not saying, you're saying, Phil, you're telling me I can't buy gifts for gifts. I'm not saying that. But I am saying, if you're not careful, a lot of your contentment, a lot of your joy, and a lot of your happiness is going to be based on things this Christmas. It ain't going to have nothing to do with Christ, no matter how much you sing about him. No matter how much you say Merry Christmas. 
no matter how much we put up a facade, it's just going to be icing on the cake. It's not actually going to be the meat. It's not going to be the real thing. But talking about contentment, we're not going to find contentment in those things. So number one, we see the process of it. He says, I can do all things and applying those things. But number two, I want us to see about learning commitment. We need to understand number two, what is our sufficiency? What is our sufficiency? Well, look in verse number 13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You know what he's saying here? Paul's saying our sufficiency, it ought to be Christ. That means Christ ought to be enough. Let me ask you, in your life right now, if you didn't receive anything else, blessing God, is your salvation, is Christ enough for your life? Is it enough? Or do you have to have that relationship? Or do you have to have that car? Or do you have to have uh, whatever it may be, that present, that gift, whatever it is, do you have to have that respect? I tell you, there's a lot of people that go through life very discontent and very upset in life. You know why? Because they don't feel respected. Show me in Scripture where Jesus ever walking around on the earth was shown much respect. I mean, he was creator in the flesh. He was spit in the face. He wasn't even given a place to come to earth that we would think about. He was born in a, a stable, a watering trough. He did, it says when he walked with the disciples, what did it say happened? He didn't even have a place to lay his head. And so many of us so worry about our image and getting respect to people and getting, hey, let's, let's make it a little more close. Love from other people. Can I tell you, some of us in this room don't have any contentment and Christ is not our sufficiency because we don't feel we are enough because we don't feel love from other people. When God says, I loved you more than any other person could ever love you in the face of this earth and more than any other person will ever love you, but your joy and happiness is totally and contentment is totally based on your acceptance of other people. Can I tell you, that's going to be a miserable life. It's a miserable life. Now, don't get me wrong. I like people to love me. And hopefully I'm at least looking at some that like me a little bit, okay? I understand that. But what I'm saying is don't make the wrong thing the main thing. Don't make a small thing the main thing. And when he says here the sufficiency of it, he says Christ which gives me strength. Let me ask you today, is it Christ that keeps you going? Is it Christ that keeps you joy? Or is it your job? Or is it your money? Or is it your, your sense of self-worth? Is it your children? Hey, I love my children. I love them to death. But I found out every now and then they don't do everything I want them to do. Your kids may. My kids don't always do everything I want them to do. By the way, you want an idea of a sufficiency? Watch your kids sometime. Give them what they want. And then you know what? They ask for the next thing. Don't give it to them. You know what happens? The world falls apart. Tears will flow. Drama will fill the room. Acting lessons that were never paid for or taken will all of a sudden just inundate that child. They will remember and quote back to you more things than you ever remember saying, but they remember them word for word. You said. Once again, I may just be living in my house, but I'm guessing it's probably somewhere else. You know what it's saying? And we understand it because they're children. They're saying... It's not enough. Be careful, and I need to tell myself this too, okay? Be careful that the way you live your life 
says that Christ is great, but Christ isn't enough. Christ isn't enough to keep me from being discouraged. Christ isn't enough to keep me from being depressed. Christ isn't enough to keep me going in the day. I've got to have this or got to have that. Be careful because that's what Paul is saying. Be careful that your circumstances don't dictate your contentment. Because if you do that, it's going to be a miserable life. And by the way, when I say Christ is enough, that doesn't make sense to a lot of people. It doesn't make sense. When I say your relationship with Christ is enough, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to people. You ever have somebody look at you and say, how can you live in this situation? How, how do you make it through this situation? Can I tell you, there are some times in my life, and I dare say in your life, you go through something, the only thing you have to cling to is Christ. The only thing you have to cling to is your faith. The only thing you have to cling to is this word and praying and trusting that he is sovereign and trusting that he will work for your good. But our contentment in your bad situations let me ask you, in your, your marital problem, your health problem, your financial problem, let me ask you, is the joy that you have in Christ, is it enough to get you through it? Is it enough to get you through that problem in your health? Is it enough to get you through your situation on your job? Is it enough to get you through that financial crisis? Is Jesus enough? By the way, we keep saying, man, this sounds very dark. Man, this sounds dreadful. You know what? Almost everybody in this room, not everybody in this room, God's not going to allow us just to go through life by ourselves, just us and Jesus. He gives us other people. By the way, you're sitting in a room with people that love you. They may not know you very much, but more than likely there's not a person in this room who's going to go through life just you and Christ. Thank God for every brother and sister in Christ. You say, Brother Phil, you don't know me that well. That's all right, but we have a common denominator, and that's Jesus. Do you know what that means? I may not know you. You may not know me. We got somebody we can go to together. We can work through together. So next time you go to that place in your life where circumstances make you just lose all contentment and joy in life, remember that there is a place, thank God, that you can come to at least a couple times a week. You knew I'd throw that in there. Uh, that you can come to and get a little bit of joy and get a little bit of encouragement and strength. You're not alone. I'm not Christ. You're not Christ. He should be enough. But thank God he says, I should be enough. But here, I'm going to give you these people too. I'm going to give you this love too. Now it's up to us if we accept it or reject it. And that's a big choice. If we'll accept the process. And say is he enough. No matter the circumstances. No matter what we're going through in life. And you know what Paul is saying here? He's saying because I've learned. Because of the process as we talked about. And because of my sufficiency of Christ. He's saying here I can do and you fill in the blank. You know what Paul's saying? I can do poverty. I can do sickness. He's saying, I can do the loss of a relationship. I can do financial trouble. I can do being misunderstood. Paul even says, I can do being betrayed. As I mentioned last week, remember, betrayal doesn't come from enemies. Betrayal comes from friends. You expect your enemies to turn on you. Paul's saying, I can do, and you just slap in there whatever it is. I can do it. You know why? Because I got Christ. Because I got Christ. How much of your life do you live outside of the sufficiency of Christ? 
How many days do you live outside of Christ is enough that you're just cramming everything you in to give you joy, to give you contentment, and to give you peace? But number three, we see this, not just a process, not just a sufficiency, but I want us to see in part of learning to be content, I want us to see the encouragement of contentment. The encouragement of contentment. Now, Paul goes through here in verse number 14. He says, Notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. Now, you Philippians, verse 15, know also that I, in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicator, I mean, no church partnered with him as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. And he goes on to say, For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Paul's saying this. He's saying, Paul's saying, because I've learned contentment, because I've learned the process of it, and because my sufficiency is in Christ, not in you, he says, whenever you decide to bless me, guess what? It's just gravy. It's extra. And the encouragement that he gives here in this, he's saying, make sure you're chasing the right things. Make sure you're chasing the right things and be a blessing to those people. The encouragement of it. And I think to myself, I have my notes this, how easy is it to worry about things? I don't know nobody here worries about things. How easy is it to go out of this room today, say, man, I really enjoyed church, to get in your car, start going home, and start worrying about if you got enough gas to get to the gas station, enough money to pay for the gas, if this is going to break at the house, if this is going to work out with your kids, or is this going to work out at work, how that doctor appointment's going to be. You know, it's so easy to worry about things. Problem is, Jesus totally warned us of that in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Read it sometime. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 34. He constantly says, consider, consider, consider. You know what he's saying? If you've got these things that are small and I take care of them, why, why do you think I won't take care of you? He said, don't worry about things. Don't worry about little things. Don't chase little things in there. I have to say this on a side note. The Sermon on the Mount, by the way, was preached to the multitude, right? Jesus had a ministry twofold. His ministry onefold was to the multitudes. Those were the people that what? They wanted to see Jesus' miracle. They wanted to hear the teaching. They wanted to receive the blessings. But whenever Jesus got through teaching or Jesus got through blessing, what did they do? They packed up shop and went home. But then there was another group of people that he invested in. It's called the disciples. Those are the ones that went wherever he went. They went. He didn't have a place to lay his head. That's all right. They went with him. On a side note, let me ask you a question. As a believer, are you a multitude Christian or a disciple of Christ? You just stick with Jesus as long as the stories keep coming, the miracles keep happening. But when it looks like Jesus is about to go on a journey, you say, well, <laughs> I ain't going that way. I'm going to go back home. Or are you like a disciple of Christ that says, it doesn't matter if you're doing miracles. It doesn't matter if you're feeding 5,000 people. It doesn't matter if you're walking on the water. Where you go, I go. See, I think a lot of Christians never, ever, ever become disciples. You know why? They never learn how to be content with just Jesus. You know, Jesus did tons of miracles that we probably never even know about. Not written in the books. In fact, John says at the end of the book of John, he says, if we wrote down everything he said and everything we did, he said the world couldn't contain the books. You know what that's saying? That's saying those disciples got to see things that nobody else got to see. 
You know why? They obeyed two simple words. Follow me. Follow me. Do you think Jesus, when he got through on the Sermon on the Mount, says, now y'all go home now. I only want these 12 to go with me. I think he would love for that whole multitude to follow him. But only the 12 did. Because I think the 12, even though they had major problems, you read about the 12 disciples. <laughs> we love to pick on Peter. I know there's lots of them we like to pick at, all right? But you know what I think they learned? Part of the reason they learned contentment, they knew that means to be content meant to be a disciple of Christ. Because I don't learn contentment, I'll never be the disciple of Christ that he wants me to be. And we see these things and the encouragement he gives to these people. And Paul finally says, I can do all things. I can go through everything that life throws at me because I have Christ. And he encourages them in prison. But verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Don't forget the last part, in or through Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, you know what? Let me tell you what my God will do. Because I'm content. Because I've reached a place of satisfaction in Christ. Because I've reached a place in life where I have ease of mind regardless of my situations. Because of that, my God's going to supply all, not just my need, but I have the God that can supply all of your need. Can I just challenge you with something a little bit? You're probably going to be like me and there's going to be a chance you're going to be around some unsaved people, probably. Maybe even family and friends this Christmas time. You're going to do a whole lot more preaching than you think you are. Your life is going to preach. I have something that hangs in my office. If you ever go in my office at the house, the greatest sermons are lived, not preached. You're going to have opportunity this whole Christmas time to let your life preach. What's the sermon going to be like? How good is it going to be? Is it going to be a life of contentment? Or is it going to be a woe is me, we just made it through another year? Can I tell you, lost people don't need to hear Christians that claim the love of Jesus, that claim salvation, is just to hear us barely hanging on. I ain't saying be fake, okay? Don't be fake. We got enough fake people in the world, okay? Build an army. We don't need that. But they need Christians that are going through stuff. They can say, you know what, I'm going through stuff, but he's sufficient. He'll take care of all my needs. I may not get all my wants, which, by the way, I get a lot of those. But he'll give me all my needs. Problem is, a lot of times, I confuse what my wants are with my needs. And allowing God to supply them. And, and part of the problem, I can say this as we're almost done here. The problem that a lot of us have with Philippians 4.19, we live our life in such a way we don't want God to be the one supplying it. I want to supply it. You want to supply it. You know what that is? Just good old-fashioned pride. I love my family, but can I tell you something? My God can use me, but my God can supply the needs of my family a lot better than I can. I love our church, but God can supply the needs and desires of our church a whole lot better than I can. I don't need to play God. Now, I need to be obedient. I need to get up, I need to work, and I need to do all the things I need to do. You say, oh, Brother Phil, thank you. You just gave me the next three weeks off. That's not what I told you, okay? But you want to know if you're content or not? Ask yourself, who's the one trying to supply all your needs? You or God through you?
There's a difference. Are you the one trying to supply everything? Or are you allowing God to use you to supply those things? You might find out quickly whether or not you're content or not. And Paul says here, he says, I've learned in what service state I am therewith to be content. And in closing, when I'm convinced that God will give me the strength to face whatever life throws at me, I can be content. And when I really believe that God is actively committing, committed excuse me, to meet every one of my needs, when I truly will embrace the idea that God is actively committed to meeting all my needs, I can be content. How about you today? Are you content? Or are you still trying to supply everything on your own? Let's stand together, if you will. We'll pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the day.